What's up, guys? This is the Motorcycle Dad Podcast with Tito. Hope everybody had a good Labor Day weekend. No, I did. Got to spend some quality time with the fam bam. Uh, we went and hung out at a couple places, had uh, some friends over for a pizza night, and I made a Spanish flan. That's right, I know how to bake a little bit. And it wasn't too hard. I just Googled it. Like most of the shit that I talk about on here. I just Googled it. So, but uh, it was a good time sitting around talking some friends. We were going to do some podcasting, but I'm not going to lie. We are a little tipsy and it got a little bit rowdy. The kids were in bed and yeah, shit was popping off. So um, besides that, guys, we're going to go right into it. This episode is going to be a little different. Uh, I'm going to do a couple segments, but the big part of this is an interview that I have with one of my friends, very good friend of mine, Dagan. I started working with him, known Dagan now for a couple years. Um, we worked with each other. It's been well, three years now, almost two and a half, some change. But uh, great guy in the power sports industry. Me and this guy are gonna be making some moves together here soon. Some uh, some other friends of ours, and just a love for motorcycles. It's so natural to sit there and talk with him about bikes. It was at one point during the interview. It was like eight minutes in. It was okay. Well, I felt like it was going a little slow. And then we just started talking. And then next thing you know, I looked up and we were like 38 minutes in. And I was like, oh, well, we didn't even cover everything we wanted to cover. So it's going to be a two-parter. We're going to have the first interview now. And then uh, that's the next segment coming up. And then after that, I'm going to come back with some tips, tech tip of the week. And then also we're going to go to another episode later on because he's actually he had to leave and take care of his dogs. And then he's going to come back here shortly and we're going to wrap up the second half. And this one's going to be interesting. So I'll fill you in on the rest of it in the next segment. But right now I want to go to something that people like to forget about a lot. Okay, maintenance wise, and it's on a piece of equipment that you use probably every time you go out and ride your helmet okay let's talk about cleaning (laughs) i know there's a lot of guys out there that probably don't clean their helmet at all they see it's they think it's bad luck it's like a lucky jock strap or some shit but i get to the point where it's like i close my visor and i start smelling i'm like yeah because i've been sweating it all summer it's probably a good idea to clean it now usually what i do is i'll clean mine halfway through the season well, because I swapped helmets out, I didn't really bother because I just got it all nice and nasty. And then before I put it on the shelf, I always like when I retire one of my helmets, I have these little shelves that go around my uh, my living room. And uh, before I retire a helmet, always make sure it's cleaned out and all that stuff. And then I put it up on the shelf for retirement. Well, this is my icon variant that I uh, put up for retirement. So I had to wash the pads. They're a little nasty. I hadn't washed them all season. And uh washed them and then I was putting it back in today and it struck me because one of my friends was telling me how he didn't even know his liners came out when it came to helmets. I was like, oh, okay, well, when was the last time you cleaned it? He was like, oh, never. I was like, oh, shit. I bet that probably smells pretty bad in there. That's your environment. That's like your bubble, your aquarium bubble. Guys, make sure you clean it. And I'll go through how I clean mine. Uh, most helmets, as long as it does have removable liners, and then you'll know reading your owner's manual. I hope you guys read it. More likely you threw it away, so just Google it or YouTube some information about that particular model helmet that you have. Most of the liners, they come out very easily. You know, you got to move a couple you know, rubber pieces, gasket pieces here and there, but for the most part, the most of them are snap-in. I've seen some of their Velcro. Um, I get it why they're Velcro because low profile, less hot spots, but at the same time, Velcro tends to see a wearing out. So pull your liner out. Usually what I do is I wash mine in the washing machine with, you know, I make sure I put some uh, uh, baking soda, normal laundry detergent, and that's pretty much it. And I run it on a sanitary cycle, at least on my washing machine. I have that. I got the fancy ones. Holla at your boy. Samsung washing machines. Uh, but I put it on a deep cleaning sanitized cycle. So it just like, gets it all hot and gets it all nice and clean and sanitized and it's all good. Now, for the drying portion of this, all I do is I just set them on my either my kitchen table or the vent, you know, goes down on it, my air conditioning vent, or I just leave it in my garage because it's so hot this time of year that they just dry within like 20 minutes anyways. Don't put them in a dryer because the dryer will melt the shit. The, the foam is very light. It's supposed to be air, you know, air mid so that way it can breathe. Um, so 
you put that kind of heat onto it, the stuff's gonna shrink up or it's gonna alter the plastic pieces because there are hard plastic pieces that you know you tuck in and whatnot. But make sure you clean your liner and just air dry it. Don't put it in the you know the deep you know hot cycle. Don't do that. Okay, next what I usually do is I take some rubbing alcohol and like a paper towel. And I see you know some people use Lysol wipes, which is good too, either one, and I wipe the inside of my liner out, especially areas where like my mouth touches, because I try to be careful around my mic and everything, because the glue and my alcohol will take away the adhesive, fair warning. But it gets a lot of the dirt and grime from like when I cough my helmet or something. All those germs are right in there. And I'll go in there and I'll clean all of that out with some alcohol or Lysol disinfectant wipe, one of the two. Let it air dry. Wipe it down again just to make sure there's no other residues. Double check any of my like my Bluetooth equipment. Make sure it's all good and I didn't pinch anything. And then reinstall the liner and call it a day. And then I usually leave my visor up if it's sitting in the house. You know, I'm not going out for a ride right away. I'll usually just leave the visor up so that way air can roll through it. But everything's already dry. It's just I just do that to keep it a little bit extra fresh. Okay. So that is my tip, guys. Make sure you actually clean your helmet. And I'm saying that because it's almost like tire pressures. It's almost like some of the stuff, some of the most basic things people have a tendency in neglecting. Remember, you stick your head in there. You wouldn't go sticking your head in any other dirty holes, would you? So why would you go ahead and stick your head in something that gross? And like, I, at least I sweat my helmet. You know, it's 110 degrees here in Vegas during the summertime. I sweat. It gets all nasty. And granted, it works. I pour water in my helmet to keep my head cool when I'm moving, stuff like that. And just over time, you need to take care of your gear. It protects your life. Then guess what? Take care of it. it protects your noodle, man. Okay. So this next segment, like I said, is with a uh, good friend of mine, Dagan. Um, we're going to be, I asked him the quintessential questions that I always ask every guest, you know, when you fall in love with motorcycle riding and all that stuff. Now we kind of cut it a little short, but we're going to pick it up in the next podcast episode. So here's my interview with my friend Dagan and go. Hey guys, what's up? Motorcycle dad podcast here. Um, I'm bringing you guys another interview we've done. It's been, this is my eighth episode now and I've done two interviews. So I'm falling behind and I had an opportunity to get with a very good friend of mine. I'll let him introduce himself in a minute. Um, we worked together at the last dealership group I was at. Great guy has a great enthusiasm for motorcycles. So Dagan, introduce yourself. What's up guys? Yeah, yeah, we'll keep it simple. Uh, Infamous questions I always ask. When did you fall in love with motorcycles? Mm, well, growing up as a kid, obviously everyone everyone starts off on a dirt bike or a quad. But uh, I didn't actually get my first real motorcycle until I was about 19. And that was a 1995 fully rebuilt CBR 600 that started off life as a complete rat trap. Really? Yeah. I found that thing uh, on Craigslist, like, I don't know, two, three hundred bucks. I spent the next six to eight months rebuilding the whole thing. I must have dumped, like, at least two grand into it. Dude, that's like the true, like, dog-eat-dog. What I think every first-time bike you should have, you should go through, is, like, the Craigslist. I gotta fucking... Oh, yeah, dude. Put this clapback piece of shit back together. It was a straight-up grenaded-out CBR from the 90s. It was great. <laughs> okay, how long did you have that thing? Uh, I had it for a grand total of one year. And on the one-year anniversary, when I went to go sell it before going to college, um, I got hit by a truck. Damn. Totaled the thing out. No shit. Yeah, it was like, I was merging onto the freeway, um, and it was pretty heavy traffic at the time. It was about rush hour or whatever. And uh, one of the field workers in Santa Maria mm-hmm. that pulls all the strawberries and everything had a full load truck so he couldn't see anything and he just just merged right over into my lane and took me out at about 70 miles an hour fuck damn dude how bad were you hurt from that oh luckily nothing happened I just what? slid yeah I just slid the bike did a couple of topple overs that's why I was totaled out but I just slid were you wearing any gear uh, I had a jacket a helmet and gloves on 
but I didn't have any riding pants. I was wearing Vans. So I got a pretty good gouge on my right side, but luckily it healed up pretty good. They stitched it pretty nice. Damn, dude. I didn't know that. See, you learn something new every day. I didn't fucking know that part of it. <laughs> so, all right, what are you currently riding? Currently, I'm on a 2018 BMW R9T Urban GS. I know that's long-winded, but the Germans, they are the Germans. It's the Germans, yeah. Dude, I, I'm actually a fan of that bike, believe it or not. I'm a fan of the GS motor, period. I like that boxer motor, bro. Like, so much stability in it. And I'm not just saying that because you used to work at a dealership. Like, truthfully, you're talking about adventure bike, and they're at the top of the game. Oh, yeah. Hands down. I mean, just the reliability alone, being able to just maintain it like a normal bike, and it'll go 120K before rebuild. Yeah, it's fucking nuts. It's insane. The Germans, they're still pissed off about the war. They're trying to get back back at us, dude. They're trying to get back at us. Right. What's the dream bike? Bike you got to have, or bikes, because it's never really just one. Nah, I think uh, for me, if I had to set up like the perfect garage, there's going to be three different bikes, obviously. Adventure bike, street bike, cruiser. Okay. But lately, I don't know what it, why, (laughs) I have no idea why. But lately, I'm on this big old Cholo Harley kick. I noticed that lately. I was about to drop the line on you. It's like, you got to fuck one, kill one, marry one, go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've, I've noticed that because you've been on the street glide thing lately. Dude, no, it, it's just straight or, up. Oh, the soft tails. It, yeah, it's soft tails. Nothing, nothing but soft tails. You know, deluxes. Uh, what's it? Heritages. Uh, Dinas. Road glides, pretty much anything Road that you kings. can, anything you can just cholo the fuck out of, and or stunt, one yeah. of the two. <laughs> See, like you know, I, I used to hate on those bikes a little bit. I'll admit, but like one of the things for me I like is like, I see the craftsmanship and the vision that they put into it. Oh yeah. I personally, I don't think I can ever own it because my OCD, like, I'd fucking go crazy. <laughs> I'd have to like take Adderall and be out there fucking like shining every pit of it. Oh, yeah. Because, dude, when you're looking at some of this shit, you're talking about motor engraving. That's like the m- most impressive shit to me. Oh, yeah. So you're talking about not just the diamond cuts on the cylinders because that's some that's some old school Harley shit, you know, the diamond cuts. Yeah, yeah. But also to do all that engrave work, engraving work on like primary covers and fucking rocker covers and shit. It's like, what the fuck, dude? Like, dude, I've been seeing some on Instagram that are so out there. Like, I saw one at... Uh, it was on a local Colorado dude's Instagram, um, and he had everything engraved. I mean, headlight bezel, the guards around the bags, the exhaust. I mean, you name it, it looked like a custom gun from front to back with a candy red paint job. And then uh, the other day, I saw one that actually had that real lowrider multicolored paint. Yeah. It was uh, black on silver just completely low ridered out with a big old metal flake and everything on top of the engraving. What the fuck? I'm like, where do you even get a where do you even get a paycheck enough to even try and attempt to afford that? Dude, there's some motherfuckers that they're doing some wild shit. Yeah. When it comes to some of these builds. Now, where is it where where did you start your motorcycle like career as far as like power sports industry? Where did that start? Well, to be honest, um, Growing up, I never really worked in the industry of motorsports, mm-hmm. but me and my grandfather always rebuilt old cars. So there was always a passion for motorsports, and I followed a lot of like Formula One and WRC and um, MotoGP, and then of course Supercross because I'm a Californian. We love dirt bikes. Um, but I didn't really get into the industry until about 2017 when I got my first industry job, and that was just a parts counter job, just parts and apparel. Okay, and that was here in Vegas, right? Yeah. And then where did you go from there? You went from parts. Now, mind you guys, look, (laughs) this is the European dealership group we were talking about, so we're not using their name for a reason, but either way, um, that was when I came along. I remember, man, you know, I was so fucking pissed. So I went up to Reno. Mm-hmm. That was when I first came aboard. I think I've been... No, this is when I went to Santa Rosa. I was stuck up in fucking Santa Rosa for three goddamn weeks because the parts manager up there fucking quit. He's like, oh, welcome to the company. Here's the fucking step into the shit. I was like, ah, fuck. And then I did a surprise visit through Reno and I ran up on those fools. I used to love doing that shit. I hated kind of being that dick 
But dude, there's a small bit of me that got pleasure off of like, you motherfuckers were never doing what you were supposed to do. Dude, as long as you like did your job and like fake it till you make it and like you were taking care of people, I didn't mind. But I knew those guys were up there fucking around. Yeah. Not doing fuck all. And I remember, I think you were the first person I called from the airport. Because I was at the airport, I was on a mission. I was like, yo, man, I need a fucking real manager to come down. <laughs> come up here and run this place. Mm-hmm. It didn't work out, but from there, you went to BDC. From that side of the industry, pros and cons. What do you see being versus being interacting with the customers every day, talking motorcycles and shit? To go from that side to when you went to BDC and then explain what BDC is. And well, to start off, BDC is business development consultant. So literally, you are the connection between the outside world and the dealership. Yeah. Now, nine times out of ten, the calls you're going to be getting aren't going to be like, hey, you know, I need an oil filter and I need an O-ring and a fucking drain plug. Like, it's not going to be your, oh, I need some parts for service. It's going to be, all right, well, I'm looking at this bike. What do you know of the heritage of, one, the company? Two, do you have any experience with riding the vehicle? And three, would you recommend anything that competes with it? It's pretty much you are borderline a motorcycle journalist that has to keep up on the new bikes coming out, new products, the new of the new, and be experienced in that field to be able to reiterate how that bike works to somebody who's looking to purchase. Yeah. Okay, so with all that being said, what was your favorite part of the job? What was the part about the job that you hated? (laughs) Uh, part of the job that I hated was because I was the only person in that department. I was taking maybe 100, uh, 250 calls a day because I was handling all inbound and outbound internet, phone, email, text traffic the whole day. That it was pretty much just being left alone to manage all advertising. I think that was the worst part. But the fulfilling part was I got to talk about motorcycles all day. Like, there you go. <laughs> like, I, I really didn't have an issue talking to difficult customers because as long as I heard them out, I delved into what they were trying to get from the phone call and then kind of reiterated my passion for it and offered my two cents, they came back happier. That's good, man. That's always a mission. At least that was, to me, that's what always the mission was. So being in that that end of it, where do you, because you went to, where'd you go from BDC? You went to... Went from BDC to director of business development, and then, which pretty much is the same job, just with a nice title. Yeah. Um, and then I went down to actually um, being a salesman, just being a regular old salesman on the floor but I still, they still had me retain the position of putting our inventory online, keeping that up to date, updating YouTube, updating uh, any of the social media platforms, making sure that our stuff was in inventory on our website. Yeah. Pretty much just as soon as used bikes, new bikes were coming in, they were up online. I was managing all of that aspect and being a salesman at the same time. Well, how was that? Uh, surprisingly easy, actually. It was quite a refresher because as director, you would be in meetings all day. You know, every every Thursday or Friday, I'm, I'm contacting all four dealerships. I'm making sure salesmen are on top of their leads. I'm managing uh, all of the YouTube traffic from the other dealerships going like, hey, guys, like, why don't we have these bikes up the whole nine yards, putting out reports. But when they put me down into that position... Well, I should say laterally, not down, because it was a lateral move. Um, It was kind of like a weight lifted off my shoulders because I didn't have to do any of that. Didn't have to go to meetings. You didn't have to babysit. I didn't have to babysit. I I just literally sold bikes and took photos of bikes. That's all I had to do. It was great. The only issue I had was dealing with the politics of the sales floor. Gotcha. Yeah. Okay. Now, politics of the sales floor... For people, because people that are listening to this, they're they're just learning about the industry. What is it that you saw that affected that? That caused politicking on the sales floor? 
Uh, I would say the worst, well, the biggest elephant in the room is leadership. If you don't have a proper leader in the general sales manager's position, you're not going to be able to unite the salesman. You're not going to be able to get people to play along. You're not going to be able to push people to hit the goal that you want them to hit because they don't feel like they owe you anything. They just feel like you're just there for a paycheck and crunch numbers and that's about it. So if you have somebody that's dedicated to the team, you have somebody that uplifts people and teaches them how to be better at their job, puts in an effort into making them better, they return the effort by working harder for you. It's leadership 101. That's all it is. <laughs> that's all it is. I'm glad, I'm glad you see that because lately what I've been trying to do is I've been listening to a lot of Gary Vee and Joe Rogan podcasts and shit like that. Special shout out to those guys. Um, not that they'd ever listen to my podcast eventually. Hopefully one day I can get one of those motherfuckers to listen. You never know. (laughs) But I don't know. Ever since me and you've known each other, you know, that's something I've always tried to preach because it's like you empower your people to want, you inspire them and empower them to do better and want to do better. Mm -hmm. I never got that where you isolate your people and you fucking just keep them down and don't give them any kind of leadership. I just don't expect, I don't know how people expect to be successful especially in such a competitive industry anyways. Exactly. Whereas you're selling not a necessity, you're selling a a luxury item to some people. To some people, it is a necessity. Mm -hmm. But that's that's always where I saw the challenge, where it's like one of the things I always try to do is take over the the motorcycle aspect of it, being a motorcyclist. Not a Harley guy, not a, you know, a, a Japanese guy or metric guy or European guy, but just motorcyclist, period. I think, like, as corny as that shit sounds, like the... The essence of being a motorcycle is, ooh, you know, throw the peace sign out. I'm sorry, dude. I'm not throwing the deuces out of motherfucker on a moped. It just ain't happening. No. There's been times There's been times I've been caught off guard, especially in Orlando. You know, Orlando guys, you guys are wild putting ZX-14 fucking front ends on front of scooters and shit. And I, like, throw it out and be like, nope, I'm taking it back. I'm going to put it in my pocket for later. You don't deserve that shit. Right. But, I mean, when it comes down to you, are talking about a very passion-driven industry that, yeah, it's not a necessity, but... I think there's a lot of breakthroughs and do being a motorcyclist is like one of the things you ways you can stay connected with such a, we're in such a digital world where we're connected all the time. That's why I've kind of like pushed away with a lot of Bluetooth shit on the fucking bikes and stuff. Cause it's like, that's the reason why I fucking ride is get away from that bullshit. Oh yeah. I don't want you to fucking find me. Yeah. Fuck you. Get away from me. <laughs> you know, but I think there's a lot of like dealerships or people in the industry now that are losing focus of that. Because it is just strictly on the panic of what can we do to fix the decrease or the decline in the industry for the past decade. And no one has an answer for that. No one does. Like, I remember going to the BMW conferences, motherfuckers didn't have an answer for it. They're like, well, we're down 8%. We don't know what to do, guys. Like, what do you guys think we should do? Like, well, think about your demographics. You got your baby boomers, your, a lot of your older crowd that are dying off now. I mean, not to be insensitive, but it's just happening. So yeah. Harley's not as big as they used to be. Still a huge brand, a huge name. Not like they're going to fucking fail. But the big core and crust of their, you know, their fucking business is essentially dying off. You got to be dynamic now. And if you're not willing to be a pure enthusiast of all of them, I think you're going to fail. Well, I think you bring up a good point with the fact that the industry is shrinking 8% every year. And it's exponential. So it's 8% increased by a good quarter to a half percent every fucking year. I know. Now, oh, no. you bring up a good point also with the older generation dying off. Now, that's just that's not just Harley. That's Harley. That's BMW, which is yeah. a massive company. That's uh, Ducati, all the people that loved the air-cooled L-Twins, all that. I know I'm going to get some flack for going into this next portion, but to bring back what we've lost over the years, I think the industry is going to have to move towards EV. Because if you look at the new generation, unfortunately, they're getting a little, little lazier, a little lax. And they're looking for things to be a little more readily accessible. Now, if you give them something where they don't have to shift, they just plug it in at night. They don't have to maintain it. It's funny you bring that up because, for one, like one of those standard things of driving a stick shift, 
I actually, I remember when I was out in Iraq, I had to teach one of our guys how to drive a stick. Because he didn't know how to fucking drive a stick. I was like, dude, what the fuck? How do you not know how to drive yeah. a stick shift, bro? It's a, like, it's a life skill. That's a, yeah. that's a, that's a everyday <laughs> thing. I remember my dad teaching me, hey, I'm going to pull the clutch in, boy. You better shift. Like, yeah. sit there in his truck. <laughs> and that's an intimidating thing for a lot of people mm-hmm. when it comes to learning to ride a motorcycle. For some reason, I have no fucking clue why. I think it's because everything's controlled. There's so much going on. Yeah, yeah, I, it's, I think, it's so much going on for some people. Well, and a lot of people they have, you know, some form of ADD. Yeah, they can't put the focus for more than three seconds into one thing. <laughs> Ooh, piece of candy, squirrel. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, it it's it's intimidating. It's a little scary. People do are starting to create, you know, a fear of the unknown. I've noticed yeah. that a little bit. But if you look at true motorcycle riders. Well, the older generation. It's all about freedom of expression. Yeah. Now, with today's youth, you'd think they'd jump all over that. Freedom of expression. They love doing that. They want to be free. They don't want to be constricted. They want to be able to be who they want to be. But they also kind of want it to be a little easy. Yeah, you're right. And you know what's funny? Like, I hear the the shit out there, and I'm pretty sure you heard it too. Fucking millennials. Well, I mean, technically, I'm a millennial. Yeah, I'm a millennial, too. And I don't give a fuck, dude. Because, for one, I don't give a fuck about labels, period. But I just think it's very ironic that some of the people that put those labels on us, it's like, well, guess what, motherfucker? You had a label put on you when you were a young punk motherfucker running around. Oh, yeah. That's one. And two, who the fuck you think raised us? Hmm? You guys did. <laughs> so, it's your fucking fault. So good, dude. From right? the back. <laughs> but I think... It's 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 a tragedy just to focus on the negative aspects of it. it like, oh well, the industry's declining. You know what? You know, eight percent decline. What do you do about that? You know, Harley. I know they had a fucking horrible quarter this quarter. Like their shits, um, <laughs> where their sales went down. And yeah. and dude, I think uh, it's fair to say that everybody across the board have haven't done as well as they could have. Yeah, they they fell short. I know some they they still met some of their goals, but mm-hmm. they didn't get where they wanted to. Yeah. Um. But, you know, one of the things, the thing is, like, you got to focus on the future. And that was one of the things that bothered me. And I think that's why it's like, here it is, we're about to make the money moves we're making here soon. Is the fact that it's like, always says, like, you don't like it, you don't waste somebody's doing shit, start your own shit. Yeah. And it's like, it's kind of like having a kid. I remember a good buddy of mine, Randy, fucking angry Johnny motherfucker. He told me, he was like, if you're waiting for the right time to have a kid, it's never going to be the right time. Nope. There's always going to be something that's happening in your life. Yeah. So it's like, if you're sitting around waiting for that shit to happen, who's to say I have to wait until I'm 48, you know, to, to fucking try to st- open up a dealership or open up something. Yeah. But I say that to say you're going off of the EV shit. It's like, that's the future. So instead of alienate it, let's focus on it and see if we can use that to build the sport back up. Well, that's, that's exactly where I was coming from is with the availability of easy access everything doesn't matter what you're doing you can order groceries from the couch you you would never have to leave your house based on the technology that we have today and it's only getting worse <laughs> it's only getting worse yeah. it's a, well, or better whichever so, way you want to look at it so with that in mind being that people are getting more and more oh well if it's not at my fingertips I don't want to do it like the freedom of expression we have to bring back the camaraderie aspect we have yeah. to bring back the the popularity of oh well this guy's doing it and all my friends are doing it i'm gonna do it too because that part is dwindling because people don't want to learn how to use a stick shift vehicle or a manual quote yeah. vehicle we have to transition to what's going to get them back into it and capture because the, the number one demographic they're trying to there's two demographics they're trying to target right now the power sports industry it's uh 30 years and be- males 30 years and below and females period yep females period they don't care and i've noticed you know a special shout out to my ladies out there riding yo know, i mean ain't nothing sexier than seeing a woman on a bike man sometimes <laughs> i swear to god especially but some of y'all need to keep that helmet on hey oh. <laughs> nice. uh, but either way but it's like i've noticed a lot more girls out there a lot more females out there on like dinas and shit which is funny because about the biggest bike you would see them on two three years ago was a sportster 
Yeah. And now it's more common to see. Don't get me wrong. I know there's some hardcore females out there been riding baggers for years. I ain't even well, going to talk about that. But we're talking about the entry into the sport. You've seen a lot more females come off of sport bikes going on to the cruisers and the dinas. Well, well I feel like the, the big increase from the Sportster to the Dyna is that they're realizing that that chassis setup is actually a very small chassis in regards to any other Harley. And so you're getting the benefits of a smaller bike, but you still have that large engine displacement. So you're not letting anything settle. Well, most people I know anyways, they ride a Sportster. They fucking ride, I'll ride that thing within, now don't get me wrong, some people I know out there that love their Sportsters and they keep them. And most of those people, they're riding carbureted Sporties. Yeah. But... I, usually I see people, it's like after a year. I've even seen six months, bro, they outride it. They're just like, nope, uh, I need something bigger. Yeah. I told you. <clears throat> just a waste of money, but. Well, I mean, you can always pro-charge one. <laughs> That's true, too. Have you ever seen those? Those are great. No. <laughs> Dude, they got pro-charger kits. Jesus. Wow. I, never, I haven't seen that. Dude, they're gangster. Really? Gangster. Yeah. Full centrifugal supercharger setup. What the fuck? Why? Wow. Don't somebody's, ask why. Just ask blow, how some, much. Somebody's like, blowing motors. <laughs> They're blowing motors left or right. Like, ah, da, 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 pa. Um, hmm, let's see. EV. Where do you see EV going in the next five years? Uh, everywhere. Because I'll be honest with you, and there's a lot of people who probably can vouch for this too. All right. My first encounter EV was zero. I left Eagle Rider the first time. I went to work for an independent dealer in Lakeland. And they happen to have zeros. And I was actually in contact. There was one guy they had for batteries. And he was on in Georgia. And he worked out of his house. But he was their guy from zero. Because I was contacting California. Finally, they forwarded me to this guy. And they were what the mission was is to try to reprogram the battery to take a charge. Because yeah. it had been discharged for too long. Well, the, the owner of the fucking place let the fucking place thing sit for goddamn three weeks. Yeah. Completely dead. Yeah, it's going to flat out. Yeah, battery died. And the guy was like, look, you're better off my butt. Buying a new battery rather than sending it back and all that bullshit. So they ended up buying another battery. It was it was a sweet dirt bike version too. And I only got a chance to ride it once. And I was fucking impressed just with a little bit that I rode it. Yeah. Zero is probably the number one company, to me at least, right now. Because and the fact that they've stuck with it over the past I mean fuck when I encountered them, that was in 2012. So we'll say probably 10 years they've been at it. Yeah, yeah. Where do you see it get? And they've gotten more mainstream as the time has gone on. Oh, definitely. So, like, where do you see EV going? Like, what's your who's your favorite contender right now? Or is there like you got multiple? What do you see? Well, I've actually been uh, doing a lot of research lately, as of late, um, on the majority of where it's kind of been branching out to and if you look at almost any motorsport there is a team running an electric vehicle so the other day the one that i was watching was formula d drift Mm -hmm. there is a company a team that actually runs a fully electric 515 horse 800 foot pounds of torque electric camaro what the fuck yeah and they're competitive on top of that there's electric trophy trucks, electric dirt bikes. There's electric uh, Formula E for Formula One. There's Moto E. I mean, all the large racing establishments, kind of franchises, are moving in that direction anyway because that is the future. Like, can you imagine you're racing, you blow a motor and you can replace it in 10 minutes? I do. That's crazy. Because like, literally the only where only where you're looking at is your tire suspension, drive train, uh, drive train of some kind, whatever it is. What, but some of them have seen a belt. Well, that's the thing you is some some it. are using a chain, some are using a belt. But the cool part is they're using frictionless motors. There's no magnets in these electric motors anymore, so you have 16 to 20,000 RPM limits. Wow. Holy fuck. So going towards the future it just makes sense because of the lack of having to repair anything the lack of having to run gasoline the lack of pretty much any overall costs except for standard wear items like tires belts suspension components brakes brake brakes um but it's it, like yeah because what it what is it what does a 20k look like then what does a 10k 
it, what, it, what does the tank gate look like at the dealership? What is this like? Dude, it's like, oh, we're going to test your battery. And it like. Well, it's probably just a replacement of battery. I, just take out a worn out battery or replace well, a worn out motor. Those, or, dude, that's the thing. Some of those batteries now, you're talking about, they got some fucking big, big uh, shelf lives on them now. Service lives. Oh, well, yeah. In comparison. Yeah, I mean, um, some of those battery packs, they'll go for almost a decade before having to have anything done. A check or anything. That's crazy. Now, they are a little expensive. Yeah, they're not cheap. You know, if you look at the cost of trying to replace a lithium-ion battery out of a Prius, just the one bank on one side is $6,000. So, it was funny because we took a bike in over at the dealership one time. It was a victory impulse. Dope. And, And it was like something stupid it was there for. And I was like, how long has this thing been here? (laughs) <laughs> they were like, oh, it's been here for a couple weeks. I was like, did the customer leave the charger with us? No, he didn't. I was like, it turned on and everything, but it was just like, it was almost dead. And yeah. I was like, yo, dude, so what's the holdup? What are we waiting on this bike for? Like, oh, well, some parts, but it's going to be like a month or some shit like that. And I was like, get it out of here. Because it looked up the price of the, I think the bike was worth like four grand. Yeah. The battery was like 3200 Yeah. So I was like, dude. Get this shit the fuck out of here before the battery goes dead. We got to buy this guy a new fucking battery because it's like, might as well buy the goddamn bike off of him. Yeah. Yeah. That was the only thing. It was like 3200 for the fucking battery. It's crazy. But, I mean, there's... So, the industry is moving in that direction. A lot of people don't really want to see it go that direction because the whole part about a motorcycle and or any form of motorsport or any form of uh, petrol head style hobby is the drama it's the craftsmanship of the metal it's the sound the engine makes it's the smells it's the way that it accelerates brakes corners all of that creates drama that we thrive off of just like when you know anybody gets sucked into one of these uh binge worthy shows and they sit there and watch the show for nine hours in a day yeah they like the type of drama that's going on and that's all these things create is a certain aspect of life that we like that we gravitate towards now you can still recreate that obviously you're not going to have the sound yeah but imagine having 100 percent of your torque at zero rpm i think it's about the the force yeah the violence of it because as long as you can fucking twist that throttle and feel like you're like, like you gotta hold on. Oh yeah. I think that's the sensation more than anything else people need to focus on because, and what I never get is always the ultimatums. People always came up with that. The, 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 the tribal aspect of riding a motorcycle. It's like, dude, we're our own fucking group anyways. Yeah. We're our own demographic. Oh yeah. So why would we separation of power? Why would we separate our own power by being like only like this, only like this? Because I fucking love them all. You know, I'm not great at riding dirt, but fucking good enough to go ride it and love it. You know, I'm not great at riding track, but I kind of, that's the thing. I love everything. I'm really good at riding a bagger, though. I run from the cops. Not, not in New York. <laughs> but, we, we won't mention that on the <laughs> We won't mention that on the park. Any cops, statute of limitation, motherfuckers. You can't get me. All right. I, I didn't say anything else. Um, Dude, I was watching, I was watching zero videos last night on YouTube. I've been guilty. Look. I'm like this, guys. I don't judge anybody that learns any kind of information from any fucking source that's open to you. Mm-hmm. If it's YouTube, the internet, I usually use bo- a combination of both. YouTube, follow the links, research, do some reading, see if it works. Because one of the things people fail to realize is just because, and it's the same thing with kind of motorcycling, just because I'm okay with this side doesn't mean I'm going to be okay with that side. You know, and I'm not saying everybody has to like every kind of bike, but when, you, when you're looking at when you're looking at YouTube or learning from it, it's just pieces of information. And then you fucking form your own opinion. Yeah. Let me tell you what, it was funny because this dude was, everybody has the same reactions when I see them riding fucking electric bike for the first time. And they are like in their helmet, like, Oh my God, this is fucking crazy, dude. Like, what the fuck? Like, they're like this is some good torque. Like, holy shit. Like everybody has the same reaction. Like Jay Leno's garage when he Tesla rode the lightning LS 218. Yep. Uh, the Zero, the, the new one that just came out, they just dropped this year, the, the fucking was it, SB, what the fuck is it? SCRF or something yeah, like yeah, that. Yeah, that one. Something like that. Yeah, it's, it looks like, it pretty much is a naked It looks like an MV Augusta Brutale. Yeah, it does. It looks like a naked, like it could be like your... But it makes 140 foot-pounds. Right off the bat. Dude put it into, was it street mode? 
or yeah. ludicrous mode or whatever. No, the hell you put it in street mode. Ludicrous mode is when you, I guess, you disconnect, trash control everything. So you have like rate. It's like rain, street, and then race. Okay. And then pass race because it still has some kind of limiters on it. Yeah, yeah. You could just turn everything off, and then it's like super retarded, crazy. That, that's terrifying. But <laughs> even with the dude in like race mode, yeah, yeah. he just twists the throttle. And it's funny because he's like the only thing you you hear complete silence on the GoPro until he goes to wring that thing's neck. It was like, ah! like it's just, oh, it just took off like, <laughs> dude, and you like look down and he's doing 90, like, like that. You're like, what the fuck? Off of this little thing. And even he was surprised. He was, it was like some dude, uh, matter of fact, he was riding somewhere in Georgia, like some random dealership, Marietta, Georgia. I got to fucking find out the name of it mm-hmm. or some shit, but that was what it was. And he was like, man, I'm super impressed. This thing makes you want to fucking do stupid stuff because you start weaving in and out of cars and shit. Yeah. And it's like, that's the excitement I felt. I remember when I put my first set, Supreli Super Corsa SC1s on my fucking bike, and I went on the freeway on the five. I was in Oceanside, got on the freeway, head back to base, and I just screamed my helmet because that's fucking tires felt like super glued to the road. I was oh, just yeah. like, ah! that's what I see that being like, grinding EV. It's just yeah. like, just stupid fucking torque to where it's like, okay, no, this isn't going to replace my complete love, but you got a part of my heart now. Well, yeah. I mean, if you if you look at all of the EVs, I mean, like Jaguar came out with an EV this year. Uh, Aston Martin came out with an EV this year. Porsche has an EV. Um, I mean, all the companies are coming out with this because their maintenance is slim to none. Their zero to sixty time is faster than anything on the planet. Like, dog. There, there was a company out of. Uh, think it's Croatia or something they made a car called a Riken fully electric hypercar it has 1400 horsepower the fuck out of here it does zero to you know, 60 you know how many fucking two seconds. thousands of dollars and motors motherfuckers are blowed up trying to get to that point right <laughs> holy can you, shit can, can you count the number of Supra owners throwing big turbo kits on there to even hit a thousand I feel like, what is that shit? The future's now, old man. <laughs> Science, bitch. It's like... I feel I feel like uh, um, Bill Nye just pops out of the corner and just says, suck it. <laughs> <laughs> like I said, I don't think it's going to replace it. I just think it's going to be a, a take up a, a bigger part of the sport than people realize it's going to take up. Because my question is, what happens now when you go to, you start taking that power and you translate it over to MotoGP? Well, in the, the next thing. like decade, like they, what well, does that look like? They've already got Moto E. Like, what dude, is, the, those bikes are making 200, 200 plus horsepower, but they're also making almost two hundred foot pounds of torque. There's no other bike on the planet that does that. You know what's gonna happen? Marquez still gonna win. I'm, I'm sorry, <laughs> <laughs> sorry, Connie guys. That, that might sorry. that might be the one bike that actually bites him in the ass. Too much power. Yeah, exactly. Too much torque on tap because he already is an aggressive rider. Yeah. But, um, like, shout out to Lightning in California. California boy, gotta, gotta rep my California company. Uh, the LS218 was the fastest up Pike's Peak overall this year. Beat out Ducati, beat out Aprilia, beat them all out. And it's not to say that they don't have good bikes because their bikes are, you know, 50 to 100 pounds lighter. So they're a little better in the corners, but that power delivery. It makes all the difference. Have you been watching, what's that new fucking show on Netflix? Oh, Hyperdrive, dude. No. No, bro, what? please, dude. Oh, my God. <laughs> Anybody out there, if you watch Netflix, you fucking been watching Hyperdrive, leave a comment in the Instagram or some shit. Dude, it's addicting, bro. It's fucking like, it's a competition, okay, mm-hmm. where people bring, you, you run what you bring. If you're a drifter, it's better. And they'll have all these obstacle courses, and it's, like, just elimination. It's, like, ah, a whole okay. season of this shit. And the kid that ended up winning it, nasty kid. I'm not going to fucking say spoil it for anybody, but they have some nasty drivers. My favorite one was, like, this Frenchman. He's, like, driving this ratted-out 240, Nissan 240, that he's just, like, Every time he goes on a run, the thing is smoking, bro, because it's hanging on for dear fucking life. <laughs> like, every time. And he's like, he beat a Lambo in, oh, yeah. fucking, in a shootout. 
Oh yeah. And he was like, I'm going to put this bike or, or this car on Craigslist to be Lambo killer. <laughs> so, but what got him was even then I was looking at that. It's like, yeah, he had all the skills in the world, but all that Lambo had to do is just fucking lay it down in a straightaway. Oh yeah. Couldn't drift. Dude, this guy got a fucking Lambo drift. They drifted a fucking Lambo. That's a tough thing to do because they're four-wheel drive. Yeah. They drifted a fucking lane. Motherfucker had a big ass handbrake in the fucking <laughs> cockpit, dude. Like, I like a semi truck driver. When we get done with this, I'll pull it up and you'll be like, what the fuck? Oh, but no. seriously, dude. Yeah, and I'm just thinking about that. But one of the things with a Lambo, you're talking about everybody talks shit about, well, you got a Lambo this. But that's the second time I've seen a Lambo in competition. And you're talking about that fucking applied torque, bro, at all four wheels. Boom. And that's where they get everybody. Oh, yeah. They get everybody in that applied torque. So, well, man. Thanks for coming on and talking. Let me see how long we've been talking. I've been talking a little bit now. Not too long, I guess. 38 minutes. So we'll go ahead and cut it loose. But uh, thanks for coming on. I'll have you again on here probably soon, dude. Like, look, like I tell everybody on the podcast, I want everybody, I want this to be like anybody that listens, I want them to be part of this. So I know you, dude, I appreciate your support, not just being my homie and us finding each other in the power sports industry, but. You're just coming on and talking. It's always course, nice man. to get somebody else's point of view from the industry. So, yeah. All right, guys, we'll be back with the next segment coming up. Peace. All right, guys, Motorcycle Dad with Tito um, back. You probably heard how that last segment ended. Like I said, the interview, it was almost like we we're like, fuck, we didn't realize we were talking so long. So we're going to keep it chill, but we're going to pick it back up the next episode. Now, the next podcast episode, what we're going to do is we're going to go over motorcycle news. So we're going to use some of the resources we used to use while we're in the industry, like working on the daily basis in the dealership and look at just some of the footnotes and um, talk shit (laughs) pretty much. We kind of started doing it in my kitchen table and then realized it was really good material and that was when we decided, okay, well, let's go ahead and you go home, take care of your dogs, and then we'll do a podcast, another episode on it. So, hope you guys tune in for that one. But now, going into my tip of the week. Suspension. Suspension is something that is a very important element on motorcycles that people have a tendency of neglecting. Um, some people that are a little bit more in tune suspension work are going to be like maybe more your track guys and also dirt guys so you have you know your twisty track track guys on your uh crotch rocket sport bikes super bikes and then you have your chad reeds bubba stewart's out there on the dirt doing their thing uh the reason why i mention them is because dirt bike and track guys have a tendency of over servicing their their items because of how important suspension is to their races and to the function of the motorcycle the stopping the acceleration the ability to take certain Uh, conditions, road conditions, track conditions with the proper suspension setup. It's one of the things that people neglect the absolute most in their motorcycle when talking about maintenance or just upkeep. Now, most manufacturers, I know, you're looking between 20,000 to about 35 to 40,000 miles before you have to do a pump and dump or what we call drain and fill, basically rebuild. You're basically rebuilding the forks. You're going to need a whole fork rebuild kit, new oil, freshen everything up. Now, cruiser riders have a tendency of being the most neglecting towards their uh, their suspension. Reason being is just it's not something that's commonly taught and not really trained for them to worry about. It's more power. Now, everybody knows that you, how you apply that power and how that power is applied at the wheel. It's a big part to do with it. And suspension has a big deal with that. So imagine you got somebody that's riding 60,000 miles. And I'll tell you this for example because I've seen it. 60,000 miles with the same fork oil. Or fork oil has since blown seals and no more fork oil, and they're just riding around on an 800 to 1,000 pound motorcycle. And suspension has a lot to do with how you stop and how quickly you can stop. Now you start to see the picture of wow, how important it is to have your suspension set up properly. Now there's beautiful companies out there for Harley guys like Legends, and then and now. Olin's is starting to get into the Harley game too. So watch out guys. Cause Olin's used to be only known for track and dirt. And now they're, they're working with guys like big bear choppers and building some crazy ass baggers and dinas. So suspension is a big part to do with that. Now I always recommend for the customer, 
look at your owner's manual for your motorcycle and see when it's due. And when it's due, fucking do it. Make sure you do it because it's going to cost you more in the long run by not having it, whether it's not being able to get yourself out of trouble in some form or fashion or it breaks and causes even more damage, you know, because you now you got blown fork seals, everything's all over the place and then the fork oil messes something else up or you could go down because fork oil leak on your tire. It's a safety concern. So when it says it's due, do it. Um, for the technicians out there, one of my recommendations is always tangibles or service writers, service managers use examples. So, you know, maybe if we're doing the service, the last service we did and say the customer's over his fork oil service by, you know, fork service by 10,000 miles, I would save some of the fork oil in a little vial. So that way I can show somebody, Hey, look, this is what you could be looking at if you've never serviced it before, you know, stress the safety factor of it. And customers, be willing to hear them out. Yeah, it may seem like an upsell, but trust me, if you have 40,000 miles on your Harley or on your R6 or your CBR or whatever you ride, and you've never, like, oh, well, I bought the bike at 20,000. Nine times out of 10, the person before you didn't have it done. They didn't do it. Because they're like, oh, I'm going to sell the bike. Why would I go ahead and spend the money to get the fork service? But you're talking about skimping on something that is very detrimental to your life. Don't do it. What's, you know, a couple hours in labor, maybe around 240, depending on where you're at, your region, 240. And then parts, you're looking at about another 100, 120, maybe, depending what kind of fork components you want to use. If you want to use that opportunity to upgrade, that's a great time. It saves you money. So if you've been saving for that, upgrade your, you know, your cartridge inside your forks or upgrade the springs or whatever you're looking at. That's the time to do it to save you the money. Suspension, suspension, suspension. It's definitely a topic that we're going to cover quite a bit more on this podcast because it is just that important. Guys, thanks for listening. We got 230 plays so far. I appreciate everybody uh, for listening in and your input. Um, If you have any questions or any topics you want me to cover, please feel free. Reach out to me on my Instagram, TitoCP702. You can also reach me via email. It's going to be Chris Tito. Oh, no, it's actually cptito702 at gmail.com. cptito702 at gmail.com. Or you find me on Facebook, Chris Tito Padilla. Okay, one of those. Guys, thanks a lot for the support. I appreciate you listening. Like I said, please listen in because the next one's going to be pretty good. We're going to be just looking through the, the power sports industry news and shit talking. So it should be pretty live. I hope you guys enjoy it. Much love and respect to everybody. Have a great week. Good energy, good vibes. Peace.